Christianity is not supposed to be a philosophy, but it's supposed to be about, Paul's talking about a life change that happens when someone really meets Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, and that encounter with the living God where he now lives in you transforms us in spirit and in character. And when Christian people then are transformed, they act like Christ. And the reality and the wisdom of God is revealed through his people. So Paul goes on from this point to discuss all kinds of real and practical ways that Christian people are to act like Jesus. And he starts the explanation by reminding everyone about where they, and here's a, deal, here's, here's, here's a, here's a tough thing, everybody point at me like this. Come on. It's, it's that impolite to point, no, point at me, okay, here we go. What's the truth of what's going on right now? When there's one finger pointed at somebody else, how many fingers are pointed back at you? Three. Okay, you can put your hands down. It's easy when I talk about, I'm going to use the word they a bunch. He's talking about they, well, when he's talking about they, he's talking about we. Okay? When we're talking about they, we're talking about we. And he's going to start this explanation by reminding everyone where they came from. He begins to apply how we should live by, by remind, he starts to talk about how we should live by going back and reminding us about how it all began, reminding us about how the real condition of our lives without Christ and the real condition of anyone else's life who does not yet know Christ as their Savior and Lord. And then from that starting point, he's going to go on in the next verses and chapters to make practical applications to everyday life about how we should express Christianity because of the transformation that's taken place within us. So that's the introduction. So first, let's let Paul remind us, in this verses 17 and 19, about where we all were when we began our spiritual journey. So grab your Bible. Ephesians 4, verses 17 to 19. And so, so this I say, remember, just after talking about how all the stuff we've been saying, how the church can become what it can, what God wants it to be, if we're transformed by him. So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, see all these theys, have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality and to the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Not a very pretty picture, is it? Talking about the Gentiles, they, living in the futility of their minds, darkening their understandings, excluded from the life of God, you know, living in hard-heartedness, you know, having callous hearts, living in sensuality because they don't know any better. Not a very pretty picture. Here's the reality of it. Mankind is totally lost without Jesus. That's the point he's making. And he's saying it's this is the condition of every one of us who was born into it. So let's start breaking this thing down and figure out what Paul's got to say to us in these verses. Look at verse 17 again. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk. Let's stop there for a second. I think the first thing I want to point out is begin with this statement. Look how he says this. I say this, this I say, he says, and I affirm together with the Lord, and then he goes on that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. 
Sometimes when you read scripture, you can read right over things that are really, really important. And I find this little statement, before we even get into anything else, as really important and really interesting. Think about what's been going on in our study of Ephesians so far. Throughout this entire letter, to this point, Paul's been teaching and instructing the Christians in Ephesus. Now what do we know about that? We know that he was their pastor. He's writing a letter to the people of the church that he had planted himself and he pastored for about three years. So he wrote to them with love, we see that, but we also see he's been writing to them with a great deal of authority, just saying this is the way it is. And we make the assumption, I think it's not a stretch to say, that they respected what he says, right? He's talking about all this frilly stuff kind of about being in Christ and and we don't get, probably have any inclination to think, oh, well, is that really true or not? They just, he wrote it in love and they wrote it with authority and, and so they accepted what he says. But now, he remember, he's switching gears from the theological, theoretical to the practical. Now he goes and he's going to get real personal. He's going to start to apply theology to real life. He's going to touch on a few nerves in the coming chapters. So look what he does here. He kind of steps back. And so as he says, he says what? I say this with the Lord. I say this, all along he's been saying, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you, I tell you. And he goes, and I tell you this, and God says the same thing. He's saying this is what God himself has to say about a matter. And I think the reason he does this is because he knows people. And guess what? Newsflash. That group of Christians in Ephesus 2,000 years ago are no different than you and I as far as how we think, how we are, our humanity. We're really the same today. This is what he knows about people. He knows that people will sit and they'll agree and they'll nod their heads in agreement when someone is teaching in broad brush strokes. I can stand up here and teach and Paul could write in broad brush strokes. You know what? How the church should be this way. Or what's wrong with society. And we all go, oh yes, 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 that's true. Preach it, brother, that's true. Yeah. But then refine the focus a bit and begin to touch a few nerves and poke a few chests and people to tend not to be so agreeable. You should be up here when you're doing it. <laughs> the heads stop nodding. So we nod, oh yes, we should support the work of God. This is an example. But what's the reaction when we say, well, God's word says gives, give 10% of your earnings to the work of God. All of a sudden the head nodding stops. Or we say something like this, in Christ I can actually forgive and love even my enemies, even those who have hurt you. You can do it. The nodding seems to stop, and just maybe the defenses rise. And you know what comes out of our mouths? But, 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 but. That's all true, broad brushstrokes, but when you're going to say it to me, well, you don't understand my situation, Paul. You don't understand my situation, Pastor. But Paul knows people. So before he begins to make these personal applications, which he's going to do now for a couple of chapters, he reminds everybody that these aren't just his ideas, that this is what God has to say. And I think we would be well off to remember this also. As Paul begins to apply these things to real life, he's going to apply them to how our families operate. Kids with parents, wives with husbands, husbands with wives. He's going to begin to talk about how we tell the truth and don't stretch it and lie. He's going to talk about our speech, 
that our speech should be uplifting and positive. We shouldn't, we shouldn't uh, make joking, uh, we shouldn't joke in a way that that's, could be questionable. He's going to talk about how we should be completely honest in what we do. All those real life applications. As he does this, let's remember who the real author is that wrote this. It's God himself. That's what Paul's trying to get at. And it's God's plan that we bring him glory by acting like he acts as we become like him. Remember, that's the idea. We're supposed to be reflecting the glory of God. So Paul's saying, listen, I know I'm going to get real personal right now. I'm going to poke a few chests. chests. I'm going, to, I'm going to make some of you uncomfortable. But let's remember, Paul's saying, it's not me. God's the one who's saying this is the way to do it. And it's for your good and for your, for your glory, for God's glory. So Paul reminds everyone who the real author of what he's about to say is. And then he begins. He says, okay, God has to say this, me and God. And he says this, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. And then he goes on to describe what it means for the Gentiles to walk, to walk in this darkness. Let's stop here for a moment. Walk no longer like the Gentiles walk. I've got a question for you to think about. Who's Paul writing to? I've been telling you, we're writing, right? who's his audience? And of course we are, but who is specifically his audience? The church in Ephesus, Gentile, or Ephesian Christians, right? Were they Jews or Gentiles living in Ephesus? Gentiles, meaning not Jewish heritage. These are people like you and me. Most of us in here don't have Jewish heritage. Although, Suzanne just found out in a, in a DNA study from a relative that she has 2% some Jewish European Jewish heritage in her, in her genes somehow. So honey, this is 98% for you. <laughs> they, were, they were Gentiles, non-Jews. They were Gentile Christians. So these were Gentiles, yes? Yeah. It's a really important point that Paul is trying to make here. And we could breeze right over it. Before he talks about practical ways that they're going to live out their Christianity... He does something. He reminds them of who they really are. He sees, this is what he's saying. He's saying, don't act like the Gentiles. That's like saying to my boys, well, don't act like a Larson. There's unique ways Larsons act. Some are good, some are bad. But how can you not act like a Larson if you're a Larson? Right? It's all you know. So he says, don't act like, don't be Gentiles when you're Gentiles. It doesn't make any sense, right? It does make sense if you understand what he's saying. He's saying this, I want to remind you who you really are. That they are not defined anymore as Gentiles or Jews. They're not defined anymore as rich or poor. They're not defined anymore as upper class or lower class. They're not defined anymore more as, as uh, you know, the ins or the outs. He's saying, this is what you are. You're Christians. He's going to tell them, he's going to say in a little while, this is how I want you to act. He's going to say, act like Christians. But he tell, reminds them of something. It's who you are on the inside. He reminds them they've been changed from the inside out if they're in Christ. That they are different from what they had been before they met Jesus. That they have been set free in Christ. Not they might be set free in Christ. They have been set free in Christ if they are a child of God. Free to live lives in line with the character of Jesus because Jesus actually lives within them. So they're not trying to just accomplish something. They're simply becoming who they really are. 
He says, walk no longer like the Gentiles. He says, you're not what you used to be. Be different. Friends, that's a message that ought to be screamed loud and, loud and clear in the world today. It seems one of, the, one of the mechanisms of the church world today, especially in youth ministry, is try to act as much like the world as you can. And I'm not saying our youth ministry because it's not. But what I see is act as much like the world as you can. So they cuss and they swear and they, and they tell off-colored stuff because they're going to fit in. Baloney. Can you say baloney? Baloney. It's a spiritual word. Baloney. Walk no longer like the Gentiles. Why? Because you are not what you used to be. Be different. This is such an important point. One of the, one of the very real problems in the church that I've seen, and you guys know me, if you're visiting, I'm not like a, usually a basher in other churches. I'm really not. Um, but I'm just, I'm just looking where Paul's dealing with it. I'm going, we've got to deal with reality here. One of the very real problems I see in the church is and has been that there are people trying to apply the practical applications of Christianity in their lives, but they've not yet been changed by Jesus first. So Paul's going to go on in three chapters and talk about practical applications. People say, oh, I want to do that. The point he's making is you can't do that unless you've been changed by Christ first. People who haven't been spiritually born again can't live spiritually in Christ lives. You know, what they end up doing is just making a bunch of rules and regulations enough people to follow these things by just trying harder. But it doesn't work. You know, here's what I found. People might admire Christ. They might admire his teachings. Or they might have been raised in the church and it's their culture to act in certain what we call Christian ways, but they've never really met Jesus as their Savior and Lord. You know what? And if that happens... This is a formula for frustration. You know what it's like doing, asking somebody to live a Jesus kind of way, but not have Jesus inside of them first? It's like asking a caterpillar to fly before it turns into a butterfly. You can yell all day long at that little woolly, what's that woolly, woolly bugger? What's that little brown one you call it? You know, A woolly bugger, that's the name of a fly actually, a fly fishing fly. So, you know what I'm talking about, the little brown caterpillars? You can yell at that caterpillar all day long and say, Fly! It's your destiny! And it won't work. You can try to fly, but you will fail. It can only lead to failure because living like Jesus requires the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, life of Jesus within first. So it's a formula for frustration, but it's also a formula for disaster. It's for me for disaster, especially within churches and church cultures. Because people without the Spirit of Christ have been historically trying to live like Christ and to help others because they say, well, let's look at the, let's look at the moral aspects of Christianity and live those out. So they try to live like Christ and help others become like Christ, but they have no real idea what that is. They're still a caterpillar. So they distort the truth of Christianity into what they think it should be, make it something humanly attainable. So they say, well, it's impossible for you to love your enemy, so that must be for the future somewhere. That's for in heaven, that's not for earth. Baloney, it's for earth. So what happens? It becomes the blind leading the blind and both fall into a ditch. That's what Jesus said would happen. It produces churches that do not bring glory to God, but not producing the loving unity and the holy living that he desires. 
which in turn hinders all of the body of Christ because it's all counted as the same thing. It's all Christianity. That's what happens. So Paul starts in this Ephesians here by reminding Christians where they came from. That they were once lost, like everyone else. And they can only live in Christ's likeness when they are truly in Christ and walking in loving, willing partnership with the Holy Spirit within, saying, change me. Church, that's just as true for us. We all need to ask ourselves, and I say this with with no levity, am I really in Christ before I try to live like Christ? Am I just trying to keep a bunch of rules and regulations because mom and dad did? Or am I really in Christ? So Paul reminds them and us where they came from, and then he begins to explain, saying you need to be in Christ. And then he begins to explain just how dark and lost that place was where people are without Christ. And that's really what the whole rest of verses 18 and 19 are about. Look at how he describes the total lostness of people without the real saving relationship of Jesus. Starting in the the very last part of verse 17, he says, don't walk like the Gentiles walk, because he says it's what they're like. In the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Futility of the mind. Darkness in the understanding. Excluded from the life of God. Ignorant, hard hearts, callous, given over to sinfulness. According to Paul, remember he's saying this is God. He's saying that's God's perspective of the condition of a man or a woman without spiritual transformation that comes in Christ. And I think one word sums it all up. The word hopeless. That's the word that sums it up. It's hopeless. People without Jesus are really in a spiritual, hopeless situation. They're empty and lost, and there isn't anything they can do about it. They're on their own. By self-effort, they cannot live the Christian life that Paul is explaining here in Ephesians. Look how Paul says it about the lostness of the condition. Without Jesus, a person's mind, he says, is futile. Your mind is futile. Mind here means more than just your intellect and your understanding. It's a reference to the mind with its emotional capabilities included. It means your thoughts, your wills, your understanding, your conscience, your, your affections. He's talking about the whole soul of man. Paul says that very soul of man is in a futile position, condition without Jesus. It's futile. Another word maybe expresses this better than just futile. What does that mean? It's empty. The word actually means this. What the word means actually in this situation means that which does not lead to a goal. It's a condition of a person, he says. Does, you're living in a situation where your mind, all your soul is futile. It's in a situation that does not lead to a goal. In other words, it's pointless. It means something which is aimless, Pointless, lacking in direction. It's not bringing you to any goal and in any end it leads to futility. He says it's empty without Jesus. That's a description of life without Jesus according to Paul. And Paul says he's getting it from God. And Paul goes on to explain why. Why is that the case? 
Life without Jesus is ultimately empty and futile because those without Jesus have a darkened understanding. Meaning that one without Jesus lacks the spiritual light to really see the truth of life and eternity and the world and everything around them. And friends, throughout the scriptures, this is the imagery of salvation. It's coming from darkness into light. The prophet Isaiah prophesied about salvation in Christ. He said this, Isaiah slide, Isaiah 9, 2. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And we don't know if Isaiah really understood what he's completely saying because he's looking towards the future. But he says, listen, people are born into spiritual darkness, but there's a promise of a true light. And we know from Scripture that the promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And Paul teaches that. Paul describes Jesus like this in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It says, God who said, Let light, light shall shine out of darkness, which is a reference back to Isaiah's prophecy, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It says, look at the way we get the light to live, the light to see what's really true. It's the, it's the reality of Christ in our life. Jesus is the light of the world. And John records Jesus himself saying exactly that. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Friends, this is Paul's point in Ephesians. People without Jesus may be wonderfully intelligent, right? They may be amazingly creative, They may be really, really nice. But without Jesus, they don't have the light of life. What's it say the situation is without Christ? They are hopeless. Their minds are futile. Their understanding is darkness. They are ignorant of the most important truths of life. Their hearts are hard and callous to the one and only truth that really matters in life, the one and only truth that leads to real life life. The truth that eliminates the whole person when they come into a real relationship with God through Jesus' His Son. Spiritual life, spiritual light leading to eternal truth. Without the light and the life of Jesus, ultimately this life is empty and it's pointless. Why? Because it's heading in the wrong direction. What's the right direction? Eternity with God within his kingdom. And without the illumination and the empowerment that comes in Christ, one won't desire to be or be able to live the good and beautiful life that Paul is going going to go on to describe in the coming chapters. So what's the takeaway today of all this? Without Jesus... All mankind is in a hopeless condition, living in darkness and futility, heading nowhere good. But enter the light of Jesus into the life of a person and everything changes. This is the greatest offer of hope in all the universe, in all of mankind. Enter the light. You're hopeless. 
all of us. He's saying born into it. But enter the light of Jesus into the life of a person and everything changes. Now life has meaning. We are walking together. The church becomes this place where we're walking together with Christ in his kingdom with purpose and wholeness, which is where holiness comes from. Living in loving unity with other people who are even different because we can overlook it. Because we say, you know what, that's all right. God made you different. But we rally around the fact that Jesus is our Savior and we're all part of the family of God. Friends, that's a picture of the good and beautiful life that God desires for his creation. That's a picture of what God says. Not only humanity, but all the heavenly hosts will look at and say, look at God's a genius. Look at what he was able to do in those lost and darkened people because they have Jesus living within them. Friends, it all starts and flows from life in Christ. So friends, the most important question you'll ever ask yourself is, am I in Christ? Not do I go to church. Not do I understand, do I memorize some Bible verses. Am I in Christ? Have I recognized my own emptiness, my own blindness, my own hopelessness, and in turn turned to Jesus for salvation, which is him rescuing us from our lostness. And here's what I know. It's available to everyone. It's available to anyone. And anyone could do that today. And here's what else I know. You would only ever want to do that because the light of Jesus is shining into your darkness, calling you to himself. The only way we can even respond is because he breaks a crack in the darkness. He shines his light. And we can, we can put our hands up and say, I don't want to see it. Or we can open up and say, God, I need you. I'd like to give you a chance to respond to that today. Would you stand with me this morning? Before Paul gets into all the things he's going to deal with in the next couple of days, and he knows he's going to, he knows he's going to upset his, his, his readers. So he says, remember, it's not just coming from me before he ever gets into all those details. Because in a hit on real life stuff, he says, let's remember where we came from. For those who already know Jesus, they understand if they've, they've come out of darkness, it's not because of anything they have done. Coming out of darkness is not because of anything I do. It doesn't come because you're born in the right family. It doesn't come because of the right education. It doesn't come because you try hard enough. It comes because you're living in absolute darkness. And the light of Christ shines in and by his grace somehow he allows you to see it and you say, I need it. I need you. It's all about him. We just receive it. The good thing, I mean, the great thing about that is number one, it's all about God. The other thing is that once we're in Christ, we have, we have no reason to ever point our finger at somebody else and go, well, I can't believe you don't get it. Because here's the deal. I didn't get it either. Until somehow by His grace the light shines. Should I do it? Nothing to do with me. It's all about Him. So you may be here today and you say, I know Christ. I'm living in Christ. And I'm not trying to in any way like to try to get you to question if that's true. But you know if you know if you're in Christ. 
If you are, celebrate today. Celebrate the fact that you were were born in, in abject darkness. And somehow by grace, you've been brought into the family of God. And you make the commitment that in the next coming weeks, as the Spirit of the Lord begins to poke on your chest and say, here's ways that, that I want to help you become better. Instead of resistant, make a determination today, I'm going to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. But you may be here today and you say, you know what, this I do know, I'm not in Christ. You're in the same condition that I was for a good portion of my life. You can be amazingly brilliant. You can be super nice. You can be wonderfully creative. You can be very successful and still know that you're living a life that's going nowhere. It's pointless. You're just working more to pay bills to work more to pay more bills. And eventually you die. That's what life without Christ is. Doesn't sound very fun to me. It's God's, God's, not God's plan. God created you to live for eternity with Him. And He says, I give you an opportunity to come into my family sins forgiven, wash away the past and shine the lightning of Jesus into your life. And I want to give you a chance to respond to that today. So you just, as a church family, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes.